Welcome to the Mana Bible Lessons Podcast. Mana is a Bible study life group that meets at Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield, California, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. However, if you're listening from another part of the world, then we welcome you and we invite you to stay tuned after the lesson to hear how you can submit your prayer request to be on our prayer sheet. Thank you for joining us. And now... We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. I've been somewhat fascinated with the churches as of recent, as I've been contemplating and thinking through what the church I'm going to oversee is going to be like. So I've been reading up on the churches, and I thought to myself, well, what am I going to bring to manna today? So uh, that's, that's where I've landed. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 You know, I I always hated getting progress reports or report cards in the mail when I was a kid, especially in my middle school years. I I would have some good grades, uh, but unfortunately there would be one grade that was not satisfying to my parents. And I remember specifically on one occasion preparing my heart for the wrath to come (laughs) as as I saw my parents walk out to the mailbox and I realized this is it for me. This is, this is it. I should have turned in all my math paperwork, and I didn't. Well, the church at Thyatira was given their report card, so to speak. They had some good things about them, but they also had a very serious problem. And if they didn't get it fixed, the outlook for them wasn't going to be good. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Chapter 2, verse 18. To the church or to the angel of the church in Thyatira write these are the words of the son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze when I walked up to the door to take my wife out on our very first date when she was not my wife I remember being very nervous and I wasn't nervous because we were going on our first date together we had been you know, friends for about five, four months, so I, I was quite comfortable with her. What made me so nervous was that was going to be the first time that I met her father. And I remember walking up to the door, scared to death, and I knocked on the door, and as her father's cracking open the door, I see Jess there standing. And he opens it, and he reaches out his hand, and he says, good evening, son. It's a good day to die. <laughs> And I, I, I'll never forget it. And I thought to myself, that is, that is quite the introduction. Well, Jesus gives quite the introduction himself. He says, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So you'll notice that there's a sense of deja vu here when you're reading the first chapters of the book of Revelation. Jesus begins each letter to each church with a depiction of himself in chapter 1. He has already described himself in chapter 1 as one with feet like burnished bronze. Now, I should remind you, or if you don't know, that the book of Revelation alludes to the Old Testament over and over and over again. And we see from the Old Testament that bronze feet usually represent purity. 
And not only this, but Thyatira was very well known for its trade guilds. So they had uh, you know, pottery workers, leather workers, bronze workers. So I would suggest to you that Jesus here is hinting to them, when you work with your smelting tools to refine and make things pure, think of me. Think of me. So Jesus also introduces himself as the Son of God. Now one reason this may have been is because the Roman emperors of the time would often call themselves sons of God. And Jesus is reminding them here, no, 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 I am the true Son of God. And that's important to recognize in a city where emperor worship thrived, where Christians would burn incense to the emperor and they would say Caesar is Lord, or that they would have to. Well, Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 I am the true Son of God. Jesus also introduces himself here as one whose eyes are like blazing fire. It's important to unpack the symbolism that you see in the book of Revelation, try and figure out what the symbols mean. And essentially what we have here, this symbolism means that he sees it all. That he has a searching gaze that no one can escape. That, that Jesus sees everything about Thyatira. Jesus, in fact, sees everything about Valley Baptist Church. He, when you bring it down to the class level, he sees everything about manna. When you bring it down to the individual level, he sees everything about all of us. He, he sees what us as Valley Baptist Church members, well, not myself anymore, but he sees, <laughs> he sees, he sees what we do in our private life. He sees what we did on the computer this week. He sees what is done in our romantic relationships. He sees where our money has gone to this month. He sees the temptation that we have fallen prey to. Maybe the fit of anger, perhaps, that we have fallen into this week. But he also sees the good things. He sees the greatness of the members of Valley Baptist Church. He sees every cold glass of water given in the name of Jesus Christ. He sees it all. His eyes are like blazing fire. The book of Hebrews tells us that our lives are laid bare before Jesus Christ. We have to be prepared. We have to be prepared for the intimacy of living in the presence of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the reason that the Bible uses, uses marriage as a picture of a relationship between us and God. In marriage, you have to learn with somebody more intimately. I've been married uh, to my wife for a little over five years now. And I've grown so close with her that I, I pretty much know most things about her. I know when she's happy. I know when she's sad. I definitely know when she's mad. <laughs> All it takes is one look from her, and I realize I've done something dreadfully wrong. And I don't even know what it is half the time. <laughs> I just know that I've done something terribly wrong. I heard a few amens, but I'm going to get myself in trouble here. So. I just know everything about her. Well, on a deeper level, Jesus knows all about us. We can conceal nothing from him. He knows all about what we do, and he knows all about why we do it. And he says in verse 19, he says to the church of Thyatira, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Jesus is so gracious here. He gives a five-fold commendation here. Five of these seven churches 
have serious problems. But these problems did not keep him from seeing the wonderful fruit of the Spirit that has been displayed in each of these seven churches. And Jesus recognizes the church of Thyatira here for their deeds. He says they do good things. And they do good things because of their love. That this is a church that truly cares. That this is not merely lip service here. They truly care about the people. And they have faith. This is not some works-based church. This is a place where faith dwells. And then there's service. You know, they don't mind stacking chairs. Okay? They, they're a local church that gathers together that serve the lost and they serve one another. And then not only that, but they persevere in light of the obstacles that they have had to overcome because of their culture, because of sin, because of the major persecution that took place in the early first century. In, in light of all these things, they persevered. Not only that, but they're doing more than they even did before. They didn't start out on fire and just kind of fizzle out. They're doing more for the kingdom of God. And you might think to yourself, if we, if we ask ourselves maybe a question related to the text, if Jesus wrote to us as individuals a letter, would He commend us for these things? Would He commend us for our deeds? How about our faith? How about our love? How about our service? How about our perseverance? Are we doing more for the kingdom of God than we ever have before? If you think for yourselves... As a class? Is manna just kind of going through the motions? Or are you doing more for the kingdom of God than you ever have before? Well, Thyatira is doing well in all of these areas. But then we get to the problem. Look at what it says in verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So Jezebel is an Old Testament figure. She is King Ahab's wife, the king of Israel. And she was really the power behind the throne. And she was so incredibly evil. There's a story in which King Ahab wants this guy's vineyard by the name of Naboth. And he, King Ahab just can't seem to get it. He asked for it. He wouldn't give it up. And he finds himself you know, almost in this little ball in the corner crying about the fact that he can't have it. And Jezebel comes along and she said, oh, for goodness sakes, I'll get it for you. And she has Naboth killed and she takes the vineyard. She attempted on multiple occasions. She hated the prophet Elijah. She tried to have the guy killed so many different times. But one of the things that she is most, known, most well known for is the fact that she was absolutely determined to bring into Israel pagan worship. Jezebel introduced the worship of Baal, a rival god to the God of Israel. So this woman here in the church at Thyatira I don't think her name was actually Jezebel. Remember, the book of Revelation alludes to the Old Testament over and over and over again. I don't know what her true name is, but Jesus is simply calling her that, I think, to get the first century readers to understand what type of person that they are now dealing with. 
And this woman, whoever she is, calls herself a prophet. And there's a lesson to be had right there for us. No one can appoint themselves to speak for God. All authority in the Christian faith derives from God by means of His Word. And she is clearly not speaking His Word. She only claims to be a prophet. Now, I would seriously doubt that there is any type of heresy like that lurking in manna. None in here would call themselves to be a prophet. But, if you're the kind of person who likes to say that God told me to do something, now I understand most of the time what what people mean like that, and for the most part that is not bad, but we need to be careful when we do that. We need to make sure that what we are saying about God, or what we are saying that God told us, is coming from the Bible. What in the Bible supports the claim that I'm making? Because if we don't ask those questions and reflect upon those things, we may just be a little closer, closer to Jezebel than we care to think. But this Jezebel here is claiming to speak for God, and by her teaching... She leads God's servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now that basically means that they were now involving themselves in pagan worship. Here's the first lesson if you're prone to taking notes. Any teaching that divorces belief from behavior cannot be tolerated within the church. Any teaching that divorces belief from behavior cannot be tolerated within the church. Jezebel contaminated Israel with a system of thought that divorced religion from morality, that divorced belief from behavior. See, she suggested to the people that it was okay to live with that kind of dichotomy, that they could still maintain spiritual progress while at the same time uh, living in dreadful immorality. And here in Thyatira... The, the same thing is going on. This woman is saying you can indulge in immorality and not damage your spiritual life. Now in Thyatira, there were different types of trade guilds that were always at work. There was pottery trade guilds, clothing, baking, leather workers. And for those that were wanting to be a part of a guild, in order to be a part of certain trades, you would often have to in some sense, be a part or be tied to the immorality or the idolatry that went along with the trade. I like what Alistair Begg, a preacher in Cleveland, said. He said, 2,000 years after Christ, and the devil has the same bullets in his gun. He is still giving the same message, suggesting that we don't have to take these things seriously that we read in the Bible about moral purity. But Jesus says over and over and over and over again, your belief and your behavior is connected. That's why Jesus can say things like, you'll know who the Christians are by their fruit. That's why the Apostle John can come along in the book of 1 John and he can say that if you live like the devil, the truth is not in you. Any teaching that divorces belief from behavior should be dealt with, not tolerated. So Jesus says there's some bad teaching going on by this Jezebel. And then we get to verse 21. He says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality. 
but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. Then all the children, all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Here's the next lesson. Any teaching that promotes devoting your life to more deities than Jesus is to be labeled as spiritual adultery and cannot be tolerated within the church. Let me say that again for you. Yeah, it's a long point. Any teaching that promotes devoting your life to more deities than Jesus is to be labeled as spiritual adultery and cannot be tolerated within the church. There were pagan practices and worship in all of these different trade guilds. And as a faithful Christian at this moment in your life, as we bridge the gap from this first century to now, ask yourself, what is the God of your workplace? Maybe it's not an actual false deity, so to speak. It's not maybe a Zeus. Maybe it's not a person, but it is still idolatry. What is the God of your workplace? Is it greed? Money? Sex? Education? Knowledge? Anything that occupies your heart and mind more than God has become an idol. It has become a God. Pay attention to these things within your life. And on another note, before you start going with your co-workers to Mormon fellowships, before you start to do supposed Bible studies, uh, you know, with, you know, at the Jehovah's Witness conference or these types of things, take a moment to at least think about your covenant with God. That no one takes his place. One other bad thing about Jezebel's teaching is that it led people into sexual sin. Now, what type of sexual sin? We don't know. Fornication, adultery, whatever it was, it was all bad. And listen, the last thing you want to do, and I've been in college ministry, and I've seen this at work, and I've been begging students over and over again for this not to take place, but the last thing you want is to get mixed up with some good-looking person in another religion that doesn't follow follow Jesus Christ, because the more you fall in love, the more intimate you become, the next thing you know, you're married to them and you're participating in the worship of a different God. And at that point, you have effectively cheated on your Creator. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, People are committing adultery in the church with Jezebel. Now, I don't think this is physical adultery with Jezebel. They're participating in spiritual adultery by following her into pagan worship. One of the images that we get over and over again in the Old Testament is something called spiritual adultery. Because the relationship in Israel's day between Yahweh and Israel was seen as a marriage. And then fast forward to the New Testament times, the relationship that the church has with Christ is seen as parallel for the relationship between a husband and a wife. So what what does this mean? Don't mess around in other religions. 
kick out any type of idolatry within your life. If something becomes an idol, get rid of it. If you feel yourself drifting into another religion, falling prey to idolatry, stop. You are cheating on your God. You know, the thing about idols is even good things can become idols. Even good things. If you elevate them to a level that is unhealthy, to where you're rearranging your schedule around this person or around that thing or around that hobby. Think about your creator. We must understand that breaking our covenant with God is betrayal. It is evil. It is terribly unholy. It is incredibly sinful. And it should make us cringe. But the spiritual adultery here didn't make Jezebel cringe. Jesus says in verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she was unwilling. I have had people come to my office and they confess sin. Some people are weeping. They're in tears. They're begging. Pastor Kyle, will you please help me? Will you please give us or please give me some type of plan of repentance, some steps. I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm in this sin. I can't seem to get out. And I, I'm begging you, Kyle, to help me. I've been in prayer to the Lord. And what I'm getting there is the person is really broken about their sin. But that is not Jezebel. She is unwilling to repent. So seeing that Jesus has blazing eyes of fire and he sees everything. If today you are in a habitual pattern of sin and you are not bothered by it, you know God is against it, but you don't care, I'm telling you right now, you're in a dangerous position. Despite the fact that Jezebel has been given time to repent, she decides to, to show contempt for the kindness and grace of God, and she continues in her ways, and God vows to judge her. And the judgment of God is often very ironic. The punishment is made to fit the crime. Jesus essentially says, listen, you have profaned the bed of love, so you will be pinned to a bed of sickness. Jezebel, you and your followers apparently like to spend a lot of time in bed. Well, that's good, because you're going to. And it's not going to be any fun at all for you. It's going to be a bed of suffering. Now, what suffering? I don't know. But the point is that that is what her sin has gotten her. And if the rest of the church doesn't recognize by that model, by that example, they're going to end up in the same bed. And what a staggering thing to say Jesus says, I will strike your children dead. Now, this isn't her actual blood children. He's, he's talking about her followers, the followers that she has led into pagan worship. They're all going to die. And Jesus makes things very plain here. He's saying, hey, if people were not paying attention to me, they're paying attention to me now as they're going to see the drama of judgment unfold then all of the churches will know that I am the one, he says, who searches minds and hearts, and I am going to be the one that will pay everyone for their deeds. Look at verse 24. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, 
I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's the next lesson. Any teaching, I'll go slower this time, any teaching that claims to be spiritually deep but is contrary to the Scriptures cannot be tolerated by the church. I remember having a young man approach, approach me about nine years ago at Cal State. And he comes to me and he starts asking me if I had placed my faith in the Godmother. Like, what in the world is this guy talking about? In the Godmother. And he opened his Bible, and there were scribbles on every page. There was more writing in that Bible that, than I had in my own. There was more highlighted. There was so much pencil markings. He had worn that thing out. And I'm listening to him, and I'm asking him these questions. And he's bringing me to these verses that even at the time, even being you know, somewhat uneducated, I knew that was clearly out of context. But he's answering all my questions with verses that you know, aren't, aren't the best to use in that situation. But he seemed like he knew what he was talking about. He was very fluent in his speech. He was a good-looking guy even. He was smart. And he came along with this godmother stuff that I had never heard of. And I, I look back and I think about that now. And for many of us who have been in the faith for a long time, we, we recognize that that's just silly. But for maybe the new Christians, for the people searching, this guy sounded like he had it all together. That there's this Godmother out there that loves you. If I was uneducated at the time, I might have thought, oh boy, how deep. I mean, this is, this is deep. This is, this is spiritually deep stuff. But be careful of the deep places that people will take you. Because people may claim to be teaching deep things, and they're deep all right, they're straight from the pit of hell. I mean, they may just be Satan's, as the text says, deep secrets. Sometimes people will give you some special inside tracks on, on how to be spiritual. And these things often will lead you astray. Things that will be presented as Satan's deep, te as presented as deep teaching, but finally it may turn out to be Satan's deep teaching. Satan is not going to walk up to us and just give us this packet of lies and say, here you go, believe these things. No, he's going to come with a Jezebel who is extremely dangerous, who claims to be a prophet, and is going to give you something deep. That's how he works. 
got the same bullets in his gun. So what do we need to do? We need to make sure we get to know God's Word so we can see people's deep teaching for what it may just be. Satan's deep teaching. Jesus says, for the rest of you in Thyatira, He says, for the rest of you that have not followed Jezebel, I'm not going to impose any burden on you but to hold on to what you have until my coming. Many of these people were facing tremendous persecution, tremendous opposition, tremendous sin in the workplace. They were made fun of. They were picked apart. Many in the early church would lose their jobs so they were not financially well off, all because of the pagan idolatry that took place in the workplace. And Jesus says, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over nations. So imagine this. These leather workers, these bronze workers, clothing workers, pottery workers, bakers, they're sitting here and they're, 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 they're hearing this word of God being read to them. And Jesus says to them, hey, if you're victorious, you're going to rule the nations one day. Oh, sure, your workplace, you might be passed over and passed over because you believe in one true God, Jesus Christ. You may be poor the rest of your life, but I'm telling you right now, you are going to rule the nations one day. My friends, I beg of you. What does the text say? Do His will to the end. When you feel like you are the only Christian in your workplace, when the trials of life press upon you, when opposition comes, maybe even a limited form of persecution for your faith, when you even miss out on relationships because you refuse to give into the world's way of living, make sure that you come back to the text and you say, okay, I'm going to do His will. Then we get to verse 28. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what's the morning star? Revelation 22.16 helps us with that. It says Jesus is the bright morning star. You know, the attractiveness of heaven is not all of these different things that you have to do there. The attractiveness of heaven is that we are there related to God in His fullness, that, that, that we are connected with God there. And until that day comes when we can experience God in that deeper level, what, we, what are we to do? We are to be faithful to our Creator. We must identify false teaching. We must identify false gods and run from them. We're not to crack open the door for any of it. Run from the idolatry that is present in this world and run straight into the arms of Jesus. When I went to Scotland, I was gone from my wife and my daughter for two weeks. And uh, my daughter's one and a half years old now. And that was pretty hard to be, to be away for that long. And I remember coming home and just waiting to see my little daughter come. And I walked through the doors. 
and I saw her and immediately she just starts reaching out and she's, she walked while I was in Scotland for the first time, so I missed it. But she's just walking straight towards me with arms out and she grabbed onto me, held onto me, and it must have been sitting there for maybe a good five solid minutes and she, did, she didn't let go. And I think it's the same picture here. There's a lot of idolatry that we can run to. A lot of times it ends up being a person. Or maybe it is a, a false religion. Maybe it is a, a hobby that you have elevated to an extremely dangerous and unhealthy level. You know the idolatry of your heart. But that same picture of my daughter running to me. I think of that same picture. And I think any time I'm tempted to fall into idolatry, I can think of that same picture. And the goal is that I go running straight into the arms of Jesus. And for all of us, what would Jesus say? He says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Run straight into the arms of Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Maybe today as you reflect on the text, you recognize there are some things in your life that are not good. You know, you are doing great things for the church, and it's fantastic. And the Lord notices those things, and it is good, and, and He's happy. But maybe there's a pocket of your life in which is not good. And you need to go to God at this time, pray, and ask Him to help reveal those things to you. Help you in those things. And help you to move from that to the arms of Jesus. Maybe there's just different things going on in your life. And maybe the one thing that stuck out to you today is the fact that Jesus sees it all. Maybe you are in one of the worst times of your life and you are so perplexed by the situation at hand and you're just wondering to yourself, how in the world are you going to make it? Well, He sees it all. So take a moment as I'm praying to reach out to your Creator, to your King, and have Him really pick apart and reveal some things in your life. Manna meets at Valley Baptist Church at 4800 Fruitvale Avenue in Bakersfield, California every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. in the choir room. We would love for you to join us. Here at Manna, we believe in doing life together. So if you're in need of prayer, submit your request to Podcast at gmail.com and our class will be happy to pray for you. Thank you for joining us today. And now that you know, do.